Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. Are you a Swifty? If you're a Swifty, put your hand up. How many of you are Swifties? Yes, some of you are Swifties. I'm asking that question because somebody asked me that question this week. We're talking about Taylor Swift's new, yeah, there you go. Taylor Swift's new album, which is called Midnight's, and uh, supposedly it's quite good. Uh, not that I'm saying rush out, get it, but, uh, you know, she, for those of you who don't know, Swifties is the term for Taylor Swift's fans. And um, my wife said, you're, you're not a Swiftie, are you? Because, like, Swifties are 11 years old. <laughs> So I, I, didn't, I didn't admit to that. Uh, although that's not really true. I looked it up online. That's how serious I took it. Uh, they're not 11. They're older than that. But um, yeah, so I was asked that question. She's uh, one of the, the, the best sort of singer-songwriters. She's, she's quite amazing, actually, in her lyrics and how she expresses herself. And she recently, with this uh, album, she just won six trophies at the American Music Awards. And uh, her fans are so hungry... To, to get tickets for her new tour that uh, they set a new record. There was something like over 2 million tickets sold in one day. And it was such a, a rush that, uh, that it, it bogged down Ticketmaster. And, uh, you know, it's created a, a big hullabaloo if you've been following the news uh, because there was so much interest in this. And, of course, she's starting this, this tour. It's called Eras. And... Uh, you know, people are, are spending all kinds of money to get tickets to this thing. Her fans, they're going to, you know, some of them will, you know, be close, but a lot of them will travel from far away. I'll take cars, trains, buses, etc. They'll sleep on friends' couches and in cars and in hotels, and they'll stand in line to get into one of these events because her fans adore her. They like uh, what she's about, what she sings about, what comes out of her. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment this same movement of people from around the world coming to worship Jesus. Just imagine that. Just imagine that for a moment. People have traveled all around the world to come to the World Cup, haven't they? And people want to get, people, uh, people are going to come from all around the world to worship Jesus. And this is one of the great desires in the heart of God. It is to have people from all over, and we're not just talking Christians, we're talking non-Christians, to come and to worship him. It is a deep desire in his heart. and something that we get to be a part of. I want to uh, just read to you a couple of scriptures. There's a minor theme, I would say, in the Old Testament, and this is uh, giving you a couple passages here. Um, the first one is from Micah 4, 1 to 2, and it's repeated actually in Isaiah 2, 2. And it says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills. And peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Psalm 67, a little bit similar, says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known in the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, I just want to give you a little background to this. Both Micah and um, I'm not sure when the psalm was written, but Micah and Isaiah wrote uh, sort of in the, in the 8th century, long time ago, 8th century B.C., and they're prophesying this, this picture that has come to them about the future, which is that Jerusalem, which is where the temple of God is, the presence of God, their God, which stands on the hill of Zion, it will be not raised up physically, but in sort of renown and in its prosperity and its flourishing and its actions, its people's actions, it will somehow gain this renown to the place where all other peoples will look towards it and say, I want that. I don't know what that is, but it has to do with their God, the way that they live, and I want to, well, we, we want this. And if you view it from the point of view of after their exile, which was uh, in the 6th century, 5th century, 6th century, that, that, that's even more stark because it hadn't been fulfilled. And in that case, Jerusalem was uh, much more run down, and the temple that they had rebuilt was much less. But the fact that they were actually a reconstituted people with a, a new temple was miraculous. And the picture was still there that they would prosper, that they would do so well that people would come from all over the world to see God, to worship God, to learn from their God. There would be something there. Their God will have made something working so great, so prosperous, so, so true that people from all over the world would come there. This is the picture. Now, um, the reality is that never happened. And not every prophecy in the Old Testament is going to come true because part of it depends upon human beings and our reaction to it. But in this case, especially uh, the Micah passage and the Isaiah 2 passage, there's a kind of weight upon this passage. All scripture is true, it's important, but there's a kind of weight that comes on this. It's not something you can just you can just read over and just leave it alone. It has some substance to it, a deep substance to it. Israel failed. Israel failed in their mission, which was to, to live out of this covenant with God to such a true extent that people would come and worship the God. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. And that, that didn't happen. They, they just failed. And it's not surprising because they're just people. Not any better, not any worse than us, just people. And so they, they failed to live up to their destiny, their calling. 
what was expected of them. But in that failure, you have Jesus who arises, and Jesus embodies Israel. Jesus picks up the mission of Israel and fulfills the mission of Israel. And these passages here really, as we sort of translate them forward, are really talking about this, that through Jesus, people will come to worship him. These are all fulfilled in Jesus. Now, there's a, uh, I should tell you a little bit about the language here. When it talks about the peoples and the nations, my immediate thought is, wow, yeah, people will come from all over to worship God. Like, like they came here in 94. Woo! But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about, uh, and the language here is people who are outside the covenant. We're talking about non-believers. We're not just talking about people coming from, uh, you know, Russia and Africa and China. We're talking about people who don't believe in God. And yet there's a bit of uh, indeterminacy in the language because uh, because the language, at least in one of these, says, you know, or both of them really, come, let's, let's go up to Jerusalem. Let's go up and learn. Let's go up and so that he may teach us. So they're not the kind of people who are uh, believers that, you know, are unbelievers, in my mind, who, who say these kinds of things. Oh, I don't believe in that. This Christianity thing, it's just, like, stupid. You know, I don't believe. There's no, pr- there's no proof for that. That's just ridiculous. I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking now about people who do not yet believe, but as we would, we would use this language, perhaps, they're on the journey. Um, this, by the way, that language is, is kind of in vogue right now because uh, people who are deconstructing their faith or otherwise haven't committed themselves often say that they're on the journey, which is fair enough. We want to find out what's true for ourselves. I'm not just going to take your word for it. So these are people who have, have turned their face towards God. And inside, they're open to what's happening. They're open to the possibility that there really is a God, that Jesus really matters. And they're, and they're drawn towards this place of coming to worship him. And, of course, if you think about this in history, you'd have a, a good example might be somebody like Cornelius. Remember in the book of Acts? He's, he's probably a little bit farther down the way, but he's, he's very open. He's not allowed in because he's not a Jew, but he's very open to what, what this Hebrew God has to say and who he is. So these people are, are kind of on the journey. Now, what, what, how, how, how does this happen? How do people get from that place over here? Well, actually, it was over there. But over there, where they don't, they don't believe, don't want to have anything to do with it. How do they get to this place where they want to worship God, the true God? How do they get there? And there's a lot of things that we could say. We could talk about evangelism. You know, telling the good news, that gets people someplace sometimes, doesn't it? We can talk about healing. Um, We've probably all had some experience or seen where God has done something miraculous, that healed somebody, and that's opened the heart, hasn't it? Anybody had that experience? Right. 
those are those are great. And in in here, for in our in our movement, we talk a lot about encounters, don't we? Encounters. Encounters with God changes everything. I was on a an uh, ungodly houred Zoom meeting on Saturday. It was five a.m. Uh, uh, but we were we were uh, in conversation with. Uh, our uh, people in our movement from the Asia sphere. And they were talking about youth and, and children, actually, having encounters with Jesus. I mean, dreams, visions, children being taken to heaven in the spirit. So those kinds of things open the way for people to move from over here to worshiping God. But I want to stick just for a moment with the text that we've, we've read. Because I think there's some important uh, uh, pieces to this movement that involve us that will bring pleasure to God's heart. As his desire is fulfilled that people, the nations, the unbelievers will come to worship him. So where do we go? Number one, how does this happen? This happens uh, when people are drawn to worship Jesus by our changed lives. People are drawn to Jesus by our changed lives. So just to pick up Psalm 67, it's very interesting. This, this uh, you know, we read through stuff sometimes and we just, we don't pay that much attention because we have so much information, we don't pay attention. But here's what it says. It's very, in a sense, it's self-centered, but not in a bad way. So listen to this. Here's what the, here's what the Hebrew people are saying. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine on us. It's a good prayer, by the way. But it doesn't seemingly have anything to do with anybody else but us, does it? God bless us. Anybody want God to bless you? Yes. Yes, please. Another order of blessing with a frosty on the side. But listen to what happens next. It doesn't always show up in the translations, but the language is purposeful. It says, so that, so God, you know, bless us and be gracious to us so that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power, your salvation known among all the nations. There's a power in our lives when they're changed. If you think about what you were like before, uh, and I don't know where you were, but uh, you can put all kinds of words to where we were. Before we were Christians, uh, we were uh, floundering, addicted, distracted, hopeless, anxious. Uh, I think the word, probably biblical word, is lost. <laughs> you know, most of us didn't come to Jesus because, wow, it was a great idea. Honestly, we came probably for a couple reasons. One, because it was true. But probably most of us came because we, we realized, oh man, my life is not going anywhere good. And what happens when Jesus finds us is, is miraculous. It's not that we become perfect, but something real happens. There is a U-turn that happens in our lives and we, we become different. We might look the same in the mirror or not, but something real happens. 
And, and it's generally, it's quite dramatic, especially for people who know us. It's dramatic how we change. And that, that draws people to God. Because let's face it, the, the reason that there's a million self-help books out there is because we're desperate to be different than we are. And the reason that there's a huge market for them is because it's not working. Just keep producing more books. I'm not saying none of them aren't helpful because some of them really are. But, but really, it's a growth industry because mostly it's not working. But the change that happens when we become Christians is miraculous. Some of you uh, know my pathetic story. Um, but, uh, you know, I went to University of Waterloo for several years. And after being there for three years, um, they, they invited me to leave. In other words, they kicked me out, uh, mostly because my marks. I just, I just didn't do that well. So they invited me to leave. And the process, what happened after that was that Jesus found me. I, was, I really, honestly, I was going, I wasn't just going nowhere fast. I was going downhill fast. There are a mountain of things that I did that happened to me that just, I was going downhill fast. And Jesus found me. And in, in that year, he found me. Uh, I traveled. I, I began to put some uh, effort into uh, learning about Jesus, learn, reading scripture, etc. And when I came back, I, they allowed me back in. I'm not sure why. <laughs> but they allowed me back in. And, and I, did, you know, I did reasonably well. And it wasn't because I suddenly decided, oh, man, I wasted my time. And I need to just study harder. That, that's ridiculous. Nothing could make me study harder. But God did something. He did something miraculous. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that people became worshipers of Jesus because of that. Um, but I do know that it made a difference. People started saying, what happened? What happened to him? I remember, I remember showing up. I remember showing up. There was a I can't tell you the whole story, but there was a, I think, 8 a.m. Saturday morning uh, anatomy lab with the, you know, dead bodies. And uh, there I am at 8 o'clock on a Saturday. That was not the old me. And, and Kathy will tell you, my wife, she'll tell you, I had this thought, like, what is that guy doing here? She didn't really know me. She just knew my reputation. What is that guy doing here? Well, what was happening there was that God was, had changed me. So there's, there's nothing more powerful than a changed life. That makes people say, what, what, what happened? Where, where, where did this come from? And it points people to Jesus. It, mo- it may move them towards a worship of Jesus. And that's what we want to happen, isn't it? And, and I should say this, uh, for those of you who are saying, well, wow, my changed life happened a long time ago. Remember that salvation is not just a past event and not just a future event. It's an ongoing process. So as God gets a hold of you, there are jumps in in our life, changes, significant changes in our life as we go along. And so people can see those things and they'll continue to say, what's going on here? 
That's different. How did that happen? We get to participate in this, which is really cool. A second thing out of the passages here, people are drawn to worship Jesus by the, the truth demonstrated in our lives. So we could talk about truth or foundations or beliefs or something like that, but there's a, there's a, the, one of the things that holds us steady is that there's a, a truth to Jesus. There's a, a, a truth and it works itself out in uh, living lives that are aligned with truth. I'm just going to read again back from Micah 4.2. Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Well, why is that? And there's, again, purpose here. There's a desire here. That he may teach us his ways. And we're not just talking about miraculous change, but, but there's some uh, informative, deeply informative truth that's coming. That he may teach us his ways. And it's not intellectual. Because it, as it says here, that we may walk in his paths. The truth that comes to us leads us to a kind of life, how we live our life, that is based on what's true. That language of, you know, walk, walk in his ways is, is technical. And then it says, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I, I don't know exactly how, how to, to translate this in a sense, but... What I do know is that right now, in the world, in our world, everything is being shaken. And, uh, of course, that's language we sort of use, prophetic language, uh, you know, be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But, but it's not just language. It's real thing. It's, uh, you know, things that we thought were true, that we didn't even have to think about, are now uh, under assault. They're now, uh, people are uh, questioning everything, right? We're questioning our, our identity. We're questioning our educational institutions, our political institutions. Uh, we're questioning uh, marriage. We're questioning, uh, there's so many things that are being questioned right now. And not questioned in an intellectual way, but questioned and that doesn't, that's not true. That doesn't work anymore. And it leaves us feeling a little bit like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? The vestiges of Christian culture uh, are, um, are falling down around us. So the, the things that, and, and I'm not just talking about Christians, I'm talking about uh, even non-Christians have, have lived uh, in the vestige of that, in the, in the remnants of that as a stable society stable societies. And those things are being questioned. They're being shaken right now. Why is that? Because, because there's a sense of loss of what's true. And where are we going to go for what's true? We can't go, we can't go to uh, Twitter for this. And we can't go to Instagram. We can't go to Facebook. And we probably really can't go to the news either. What, what is true? Is it all relative? No, of course not. If it's all relative, we are sunk. We're all sunk. It's my truth against your truth. And while I would agree there's a certain aspect to our experience in life that creates a sense of, you know, what is, what is true, there's also a capital T 
Not just a little T, there's a capital T. And, and we, we will be and continually be unmoored until we come to the capital T. And that capital T is Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. And, and that's not just like, oh, that's fun language. That's, that's awesome speech. No, that's, it, it's true. God made everything. He's the designer. He's the architect, the engineer. He knows how everything is supposed to be put together. He knows what works and what doesn't work. And he knows what happens when you do something and you act in a way that's not in line with who he is and what he says. And what happens is that things start to fall down. And we might not realize that at the beginning, but but things fall down, and they are falling down. And there is a sense over overall, and I mean, some people are not sensing this. Some people don't care. Some people don't want to listen. But the truth is, again, that there is a truth. There is a standard of truth. There is a person who embodies truth. This is Jesus. And, and, and it's when we live out of that that people are attracted to the truth. Now, some people will say, get lost, pack a lunch. But there will be other people who say, there's something compelling about what you're saying. I know it's at odds with what the world is saying, my society is saying, but there's something compelling about what you're saying and the way that you're living. And they're being, they're being compelled, they're being pulled by the truth. And as they're pulled by that truth, they come to the place of worshiping Jesus. These are, these are, this is the part that we, one of the parts that we play in this world, in drawing people, in fulfilling the wish of God, the, desire, the deep desire of his heart that nations, unbelievers, people who don't know him will come to worship him. This is one of the parts that we play. The shape of our lives the, the, the change in our lives, the truth that we live by and that we speak leads people to worship him. Uh, I was listening to a podcast this week and uh, one of my favorite gurus, uh, Patrick Lencioni, uh, who's a, he's a business consultant. He was, he was on this week and I'm, I'm interested in him. Well, we, we've, um, in in this church, in the, in the leadership of this church in the school, we've actually used a lot of his materials since I, at least since I've been here. So that's 20-some years. And he's kind of shaped some of what we do, how we do things. Uh, he's a Catholic, uh, took his faith fairly seriously, although about 12 or 13 years ago, he had an epiphany and uh, has made a major jump forward in that. His wife was not a Christian. And in this interview, he says this. I'm just going to read a little bit and skip some. But he says, well, uh, so I grew up with faith, but as they say, God has no grandchildren. So I wasn't simply just faithful because my parents were. And by the grace of God, I never let go of it completely. But I did not understand it or embrace it the way I should. And so as I got older, I just was realizing like, man, I would meet good Christian people and think, wow, I want to be like them. My wife converted, became a Christian and a Catholic because she met some wonderful women she met and then some guys and we met some young manly priests that were just so impressive and we thought, wow, what's going on here? 
And of course, he would go on actually to say, you know, this is, this is the Holy Spirit. But clearly, what, what helped him move forward and, and, and what moved his wife to, to become a believer from a state of unbelief were the people that they encountered. The shape of their lives, the truth that they lived by made a massive difference in that movement from unbelief to worship of Jesus. I, um, I had a former student talk to me. It was a while ago, and she works in the airline industry, and she said, you know, she was recently on a flight, working a flight, and there was a, a Christian leader from our movement who was on the plane, and she said, you know, this person was so miserable and grumpy and entitled and demanding. She said, it just, it just turned me off. Now, thankfully, it didn't turn her off from, from Jesus. Um, and, and I imagine that it wasn't a very good witness for the people that were sitting around this person. But you know, if, if our witness can take people away from Jesus, our witness can also bring them towards Jesus. The shape of our life, the change in our life, the things that we stand for that are true can lead people, can help them come to that place of worship. And that's what we want to have happen, isn't it? This is the desire of God's heart. We always talk about evangelism, but this is a different way of understanding what's happening. God has this this deep desire, not because he needs it, because we need this. He desires for people who do not know him to come to the place of worship and thankfulness and joy in him. And we get to be a part of that. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.